Welcome back. Thank you for hanging out with us once again. This is the one and only IT in the D show, your insight into the Detroit tech scene. I am your host, Bob Walton Spiel, always hanging out with producer extraordinaire and co-host Randy Walker. Guest this week, Alex Linebrink from Passage. We're going to find out how you start a ticketing app when, when in a crowded space and kind of mark a niche and celebrate a pretty big milestone on how many tickets are sold. This is kind of a cool story. You definitely want to hang out for this one. Find us online, itinthed.com. Do us a favor. Give us a like on the socials. Subscribe to us everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. Don't forget meetup.com slash itinthed. We just set our date for July, I don't know, third Thursday, which date, 19th, 18th, something like that, Randy. Something like that, yeah. Um, it is the 21st. 21st. Thank you. We're going to be at Nancy <laughs> Whiskey's. We're going to be at Nancy Whiskey's in Corktown up on the patio. Uh, should be a good time. No cover, no speakers. Just good old networking with IT folks, just like we've always done. So, Alex, how you doing? Thanks for hanging out with us. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Good thing you had that cough yesterday. Got you gives you that nice raspy voice today for the podcast. <laughs> yes. Nice. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so passage is you know, I guess this is new to me because you know, I'm a I'm a huge uh Detroit City FC fan. You know, I'd season tickets for years. Um yeah. and you know, I found out you're the official ticketing system. And then we started yeah. deep diving a little bit on what you're doing. And it's massive, and, and and you're in a lot more spaces than just like sporting games. I guess like, I guess you know, I got so much to talk about at once. But let's talk about like the origin story. How you know, I, I realize that like buying tickets online sucks, right? That's easy. Convenient fees suck. Like that's yeah. the easy part. How did you go about like actually turning this thing into a business? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I actually ran a uh, payment technology company before this. We just did like payment processing stuff. Uh, we were part of the, like the Dan Gilbert crew. We got some investment from uh, Bizdom, which was his startup accelerator. And, you know, long story short, that business went okay. I ended up selling it in 2014, but I knew the payments world. And I also had this weird hobby uh, growing up, uh, which was uh, related to haunted houses. Uh, so my dad's birthday was on uh, is on Halloween. So when I was growing up every year, instead of cake and ice cream, we build a haunted yard. Uh, and and I know it's it kind of awesome. Way off like left field here. So stay with no, me. No, 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 it can't be any work. My one buddy got actually got married on Halloween and their 20th anniversary oh, nice. this year. I know. So it's like awesome. at least, you know, but your dad's was at least on accident. He was born then. He didn't can't yeah. help it. Yeah, and it was always a blast, and we got like more families involved, and we got it built up over the years. I, I used to build like animatronic stuff with him, and I think we got up to around fifteen hundred pe- people that would come every year on Halloween night. Like that was just one night. That wasn't over like October or anything. That now, what town was night. this then? Was this local? It was a re- no. It, it was still in Michigan, a uh, small farm town by the name of like Hillsdale, Michigan. Okay, it, I know where Hillsdale. It's like, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, kind of where Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan yeah, all yeah. come together there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously for that town, like that had like 6,500, 7,000 people in the whole town. So like, that was huge. You know, we were getting a chunk of the town to go to this and, um, and we, you know, we thought we were hot stuff. So we started going to, um, uh, trade shows. We found out that there were haunted house trade shows. So when I was younger, I started going to trade shows with my dad and again, just this weird family thing, uh, that we, we got into, uh, but the trade shows, there are all these people doing all sorts of crazy stuff. We got to see all the haunted house people and all that sort of thing. So that was kind of my background. And, uh, when I finished up this, this payment tech company before this, I, I got together with this buddy of mine who, who is an awesome full stack engineer, software engineer, his name's Patrick Mish. 
Uh, so he ended up co-founding Passage with me. And when we got together originally, I said, like, look, dude, um, I know the payment space really well. I know how we can help people process payments in ways that they really haven't done before. So it, on a technical point of view, like we're actually helping people do next day payments and get next day deposits, you know, um, on, a, on a big level. So we were one of the first 50 uh, payment facilitators in the U.S., which is the special thing that was set up for Stripe and PayPal. It doesn't matter. Um, so I knew the payments world and we wanted to do something around events. I said, look, Eventbrite and all these guys are kind of generic and they're kind of doing this stuff that it works, but it only works for one off, one date, one time, one price point type events. Like if it was a really simple event, like a concert or a book club, it worked great for it. But if it's anything else, like Eventbrite, like still to this day, isn't the best solution out there and, and some of the other solutions that were there. And so I said, what about all these other guys that have special needs? And I said, I have a really interesting one that if we can prove this out, I bet we can get to a bunch of these specialty event categories. And mine is haunted houses because I grew up around this. Uh, so I said, they have to have repeat times every Thursday and Friday and Saturday night and, you know, th- for six weeks straight, the end of September through well, October. Haunted houses are different now. This is appointment time. And this, it's not just like show up on 12 and Van yeah. and stand in line, right? This is like you're showing yeah. up at 815, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You got to have your time slot that you're going in. That's to keep the lines down. It's good for everybody. But yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it was even starting back then. We call that time ticketing with that stuff. And so I like, look, if we can figure this out and figure out how to bundle multiple haunted attractions together, I bet we can get into all sorts of other branded event categories like this. So our goal from the beginning was kind of to be that 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 provider that helped everybody else. So we didn't want to worry about the 80% of events out there that Eventbrite was handling. They were doing fine with them, right? We wanted to do those other 20% that had the special needs. And my thesis was that over time, those would become the majority of events, the ones that, that needed special features and functionality and branding. And we did. We even set up like branded event categories for these. So we have a brand called HauntPay that is to this day the largest provider of haunted house ticketing in America. And that's how we started with Passage. We do and in October. We'll do something like, you know, $25 million in haunted house ticket sales this year. Wow. It's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've done that again. So we did it for escape rooms. We have a, a whole category called escape ticks for escape rooms. And we're one of the largest providers of ticketing and payments for escape rooms. We did one called soccer stub for semi-pro soccer. That's how we got started with Detroit City FC, which is uh, still one of our largest clients to this day. They're a blast to work with. I, I love going to DSGEPSI. You got to be loving them being on ESPN now. They're selling the place. Oh. It's nuts. It's freaking awesome. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Every second of it. So yeah, that's our thing. We create brands, features, and even functionality unique to each of these specialty event categories. And a lot of that stuff can be reused for one or the other. But then we're able to go in, we can not only help people with better features that match their event category better and, and help them run their event in better ways, but also we can help them um, get fans there. You know, So last year on, on HauntPay, we had 18 million hits of people uh, on the search pages of people looking for haunted attractions and different stuff like that. So I think it was 18 million hits across like six or 7 million different people. So we can send those to haunted attractions when they're searching for them. And those that's extra business for all those clients that work with us and vice versa for all the other event categories too. So that's kind of our thing. And yeah, trying to be friendly as well. So we get people their money fast the other thing was that we noticed Eventbrite wasn't doing and some of the other guys was like they were just doing online ticket sales. And if you're an event, you might need other revenue to keep yep. moving. So you might need concessions, you might, might need merchandise, might need to do at the door sales. 
And we didn't want you to work with four different, you know, vendors. We wanted you to work with us and do them all with us. So we build out a point of sale system. We build out, you know, merchandise and concessions add-ons. So yeah, that that's kind of our thing with with how that all works. Um, trying to be the good guys, the guys that are really helping people with special needs there. Yeah. So people loathe convenience fees. Um, mm-hmm. I was I was listening to uh, Jansen and Stoney on 971. I think it was yesterday or the day before. And they were just talking about how, you know, if you stand in line, like a 20 minute line, you pay no convenience fee. But if you buy it, you know, they're, they're called, they, I think it's the word yeah. like, well, you know, I'm just buying a ticket. Like, you know what I mean? What this isn't, you know, what's the convenience. So it's like, but I'm looking at you and you're charging two and a half percent, which is cheaper than tip. Most card, credit card processors charge 3% like to the bars and restaurants. And yeah. you're doing it for 50 cents a ticket. And some of your competitors are triple that quadruple that. Yeah. Like, is yeah. it because you knew the kind of the secret sauce and you guys came into it lean and you didn't have a lot of overhead? I guess how'd you guys price yourselves where you did? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of it. You know, just trying to stay lean and and do a lot with a little. Um, and and I, you know, I, I don't think you maximizing revenue is is always the the right move. Like I, I realize our investors might push back on me if they hear this, you know. Uh, right. But you know, sometimes like th- that is to the detriment. Even even if the the event, you know, even if our client will accept higher fees, you know, that go out to their customers, it might indirectly hurt their ticket sales. You know, they, because there might be people that are turned off, like like the consumer is actually buying these tickets and it gets frustrating. So, yeah, I mean, we average way lower. We're like half of what an event bright is, you know, and e- we're even lower on some ticket prices. And then we when you compare things like Ticketmaster and stuff like that, which is like 60, 80 percent, you know, on tickets, like sometimes you can basically double, you know, your costs when you get to the end of the checkout. It's Last not, time yeah. I bought a Ticketmaster ticket, I, I the way I look at it now, if I buy two tickets, I'm buying a third. So if I'm <laughs> buying like a, a seventy dollar ticket for yeah. concert X, you know, Isn't that I'm pretty much paying $210 Yep. by yep. the time it's all said and done. And it's just like, it's kind of like I treat it like when you go to Vegas and instead of like with the bartender says the bill and you don't say what you just pay it. And then you work, yep. you know, you cry when you get home. Um, <laughs> pretty much what concerts have been for me. Like, I don't even it sounds like you're speaking from experience here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been going to show <laughs> I got, you know, ticket stubs from when I was a kid where it was like, you know, $15 ticket and like a 50 cent convenient or convenient, whatever they called it back in the day, the charge or whatever. Yeah. Con- real convenient. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now I'm, now I'm actually debating going to a $500 ticket concert. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like times are tickets went nuts yeah. quickly. Like I hear you. In a, I hear you. And, and you know where a lot of that is going? Like if, if you don't know, I can tell you. No, I, like no making- idea. I have no idea they're making these crazy deals like Ticketmaster and a lot of these guys are making these crazy deals with the venues and with the event promoters where they're making deals where they'll push back a portion of that under the table to the venue and under the table to the promoters and under the table to all these different parties. And the thing that I think isn't fair is that that's not transparent to the consumer, right? Like if I'm the consumer, I don't mind if somebody's making money off of my purchase to this. I want the the you know the uh, uh, artist you know to get paid. I I'm going there to support them a lot of times, right? Like so, well, I want them it, to get paid. If you look at it though, too, like artists, they don't get paid nearly what they used to when they used exactly. to stamp records yeah. and stamp CDs. <laughs> um, you know, and I, but then again, though, me as a consumer, I'm not spending seventeen ninety nine for for a really shitty CD at Harmony House, right? So I'm getting a better deal with my digital music. So again, it never really bothered me to pay a little more for the concert because I get it. You know what I mean? Or at least totally. I, you know, see what's going on in, in terms of how the artists are getting paid. 
Yeah, but you don't want necessarily want that going to a bunch of other parties that you don't even know right. are involved in right. all this, right? Like, yeah, and, and that's the thing there. And so, you know, we stay out of those deals that are these under the table deals, and we try to keep it transparent with ours. I do think, you know, this might be controversial too, but I do think service fees, convenience fees, whatever you want to call them, we call them service fees because we're providing a service. There's nothing convenient about it, but right. I think those are good. Call. good, good call. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, I, but I do think that those are the right model because it allows events that are small. And those are most of the guys we deal with, the small to mid-sized guys. That's our sweet spot, right? And it allows some of these guys to, to not invest up front to get their event going, right? So they're not paying for equipment. They're not paying for a service. They're, it's kind of pay as you go because it's every transaction that goes through. Either they're paying it or their customer is paying it. So it does allow some of these small artists to get up and running and actually selling tickets without having a huge investment. But I'm totally with you. Let's keep it minimal. Let's not do these under the table deals, you know, and stuff like that that's making it bigger and bigger and bigger on all these fees. Let's keep it to a minimum um, and do no more than we absolutely have to. And so that's where we're at. Yeah, we try to keep things as lean as possible. Yeah. Well, no, as a, as a event, you know, one time event promoter, like we used to do professional wrestling shows and we <laughs> got bigger venues yeah. and they're, they're expensive and you have to bring in stuff. And we started, you know, we went first online and then we started selling uh, front row or first couple of rows. And now, okay, cool. We got money. Now we can pay off the hall, <laughs> pay off the venue. You know what I mean? It just helped, yeah. uh, you know, instead of like same day and they're looking at you, their hand out and like, I don't have all this cash. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so that was just to be able to do that. So I can imagine if you were like for the haunted houses or for, you know, for anyone for that matter, for the smaller venues to be able to like kind of get some money up front. Um, yeah. It's got to be a game changer for them. <clears throat> Absolutely. And that is one of the things that when we came in, you know, we came in from a payments point of view as well. And, and we saw like Eventbrite and some of these other guys, again, making you wait until two weeks after the event ended to actually get your cash, which blew me away that you could be doing pre-sales three months in advance and have to wait until two weeks after the event to actually get your money because That's they were worried right. about chargebacks and refunds, That's you know, right. and stuff like that. So I had, to, so, I had to do my oh, 20, I had to do my high school reunion and we were going to have dinner mm -hmm. at a hall. And we only sold like 20 tickets. We're, we're more, uh, let's go to the corner dive bar high school um, instead of going to a nice dinner. So I don't yeah. charge everyone back. And I'm not going to lie. It was a pain in the ass. Everyone got their money back. I didn't get stuck with a bill. But Good. man, did I have to pull, you know, did, was it was not fun to go through that. Yeah, absolutely. And and so from the beginning, we've set it up so that all of our clients like have a, you know, they get their money in one to two business days as fast as you can with a credit card of every sale, one to two business days of every sale. So if they're selling three months in advance of the event, they do it now. And that means we have to do some extra due diligence to make sure they're not trying to fake us. They're not fraudulent events and that sort of thing. But in the general, it works out so much better. Let's them get their money faster. Let's them keep their fees down. Like I say, you know, like we did before. Yeah, yeah. It was a little scary in the pandemic and stuff, like when everybody was refunding things for a while, but like it, it went, it worked. Yeah. Oh, trust me. I went to the ministry concert not too long ago. That was canceled. I believe four times, if not three times. Um, I'm like, oh my God, I bought these tickets in like May 2020 or, you know, March 2020. And I'm just right, seeing right. them now. <laughs> like, God. So now it's like literally back to back to back to back concerts we've been going to. Like, we just went to craft work. That was rescheduled nice. three or four times. Uh, Weird Al got COVID, but, you know, um, you know what I mean? So, like, it's just all these concerts now are just coming to a screaming head, which is great. I'm, I'm happy to get yeah. out and go see shows now. 
you're not the only one. Uh, we, we've seen on average, like everything since stuff started opening back up, the events that we've seen are up 35% from what they were pre-pandemic. It's nuts. Everybody's really? buying tickets like crazy. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like you take away your toy and then, you, you know, a week later, you're going to play with it 10 times longer because, you know, you, you missed it. You know what I mean? I think yeah. it's a lot of the bars are packed. You look at everything going on right now for an event. Everything's packed. It's Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's good. You know what I mean? I, I don't know what else to say other than it being good. So speaking of that, um, virtual events, are you doing it too? Like, so I'm looking at like video on demand and live stream, which is yeah. a unique take spin on, you shouldn't be doing this. I need to know more. Um, talk to me about that game. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, back in, in March, 2020, there was this funny thing, you know, uh, happened, and uh, so we had in March 2020, at the beginning of the year, we had, or beginning of the month, we had a thousand events selling tickets. At the end of the month, we had zero oh. events oh. selling tickets. Uh, it was rough. We were a little worried. I had investors calling me up saying, hey, you got to like put this on pause. Like you got to fire everybody and just hibernate until this is all done, you know? And we saw oh. other people do that. Like Eventbrite fired half their staff. Uh, brown paper tickets was getting sued because they weren't paying out money for refunds. Like all this bad stuff was happening across the industry. Um, and so I, thankfully we had a little bit of money in the bank. We had a pretty good 2019. So we had a little bit of money in the bank and, and I convinced, you know, our board investors to let us take some bets with it and, and take our runway down from like a one year runway, which it was to like a couple months which was a scary time to do that. And uh, we build out uh, virtual event stuff. We just put all of our attention on building out stuff to allow the event organizers that we worked with that were scared to death because this was, you know, it's our livelihood, but it's also their livelihoods, right? Like, and they didn't know what else to do. Yeah. Um, and let them continue to sell tickets and to do performances and entertain people is when they need the most, you know, at a really crazy, stressful time for a lot of people. Um, and so we built out our virtual event tech and, and thankfully like it hit hard. We got involved with some great folks right away. Did this concert that was like a benefit concert down in New Orleans. There was like a hundred thousand people and we got featured in Forbes in April of 2020 as the Ticketmaster killer in the age of virtual events. Wow. Amazing. Like I couldn't have written it better. Like myself, it was just perfect. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was our thing that got us through some really tough months. We focused on virtual event stuff. Uh, we also focused on socially distanced event stuff. So we did a lot of tech that was like around, around the time ticketing, but also and limiting people per time slot, but also around like, uh, waiting in line. Like, so for a lot of our fall events, haunted houses and fall festivals and beer fests and stuff like that, we built this crazy, um, virtual Q tech. So you didn't have to wait in line to get in. You'd get a text message when it was your turn to go into the attraction. Uh, perfect. Uh, Love it. It worked great. It's, and the cool thing is people are still using it. More people are using it now than did in 2020, sure. which is awesome because it's just a better way to do things, right? Like who wants to stand in line? Let me walk around and buy concessions and buy merch and stuff like yeah. that, or just have fun. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that went over well. And yeah, the virtual event stuff, I think, has had some really good staying power for us. Um, one, because we built a really solid platform. Um, it started really basic. We're MVP guys all the way. So our initial version was like totally minimum viable product. It was like embed a video here from YouTube or Vimeo. And like, here's a chat box that we added and that's it. And then we're like, okay, no, 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 we can actually do the live streaming. So after a couple more weeks, we added that in. And this is all gated, so you could buy a ticket. And only the people that buy tickets can get to this virtual access page. And then we got 
we noticed the funniest thing, which you just alluded to uh, when you asked the question here, which was that even though we had built it as a live streaming thing, so we we built this whole live stream platform, um, we noticed a lot of people were pre-recording performances and then playing it like over the live stream through like restream or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it, definitely. I agree. Like it wasn't as authentic in some ways, but at the same time, a lot less of those like had technical difficulties while they were happening. <laughs> to be candid, who's going to know, right? Not many. Um, yeah. You know, speaking for someone that's in the IT industry, that's gone to Vegas three times a year for the past yeah. 15 years. When they went virtual on those, see those those events were always about. You had to go to your sessions all day, and you went into them hungovers, but Jesus, you know, you were you were on Advil and emergency, and maybe three cups of coffee, and you had to sit through these bullshit PowerPoint presentations. Yeah, and you just went, you just waited for the after party, you know, and they yeah. would hire these, you know, they would hire like Aerosmith, and it was fully catered and full bar, but they decided to have these virtual events without with just the speakers so you're getting like you know all the shit and and all of the stink like yeah. all wrapped in one. <laughs> and it was just absolutely horrible experience like i can imagine like the concerts and stuff that's kind of cool like i know a lot of people that did a lot yeah. of virtual events that way but like for the <laughs> I, I i applaud them for trying in the it space but oh my god were those things painful so like, no one ever, <laughs> no one ever listened no one ever listened to the the marketing jargon that you know on the big slides. You know what I mean. So we're we're definitely happy to, to you know Vegas already started back up with the IT industry. So like we're sure you know, it's it's uh it, you know and then you know we're doing events constantly you know locally. So yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. Been, you know a lot of thank gods from a lot of people. Sure, I mean we saw some interesting events though, like conferences. I agree, totally rough. Yeah, but it wasn't just uh, concerts. Like we saw some crazy stuff that were cooking lessons that was one of the early ones we had a um a wine company that like would send out wine so they did a subscription where they'd send out wine every month and then to make their wine stand out because there's like a zillion wine subscriptions right but like to make that stand out they would do a virtual sommelier like tasting experience so you could sit at home and do tasting notes and ask the sommelier questions in the chat and stuff we had one that we, uh, was doing, uh, we had uh, some short films that did their like premieres on there. And then the director would do commentary while they're playing the short film, you know, like it was just a lot of really crazy stuff. Magic shows. We had some magic shows wow. that were virtual magic shows, like just blew me away. All the strange stuff you'd see on there. This, so so cool. I was on, uh, I had one where Detroit city distillery sent me uh, like three cocktail kits and you know they had the, one of their bartenders and yeah we're talking about cloud security and but while we're doing it he's like okay now put that in okay now put that in okay now shake it three times you know okay yeah. now pour it over you know what i mean so they would yeah, send these awesome. but like a lot of the bit like so the big events like the cio events they were they were like hiring food network people and then shipping gotcha. you out like a blue apron box yeah and then That's you know perfect. let's let's cook some flounder flambe or i whatever that like you know Something fancy. Randy's a fancy one. I'm not fancy. Um, <laughs> I'm more. I'm a hot dog at the ballpark guy. Um, but you know, they were they were cooking like these, like you know, what you would consider a pretty, you know, gourmet me- like a meal that you'd get at a really nice restaurant and you can make it at home. So yeah, it was, no, definitely. There's some people did some really cool spins on it. Yeah. So I am reading something that I I got to make fun of you on. It's not make fun, but I I get it, but I don't. I, those th- those three letters that just make a lot of like it's kind of like saying crypto, but it's NFT, and you're getting into <laughs> and, 
and I see, and I'm a, and I'm a huge wrestling fan, and I see WWE's doing like the NFTs from shows, like clips, and it's a little, it's cringy. Yeah. So, but I'm seeing you're you're selling digital NFT collectibles at these at some of these events. I'm assuming by what you've told me so far that you're doing it right, and it and it's and it's good and happy and wholesome. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you see, here's the thing. I, I'll tell you, Bob. Like the thing with our stuff is, we build the tech. We don't we don't control how people use it, right? Right, <laughs> so right. Eventually, people can can have the the worst events. You know, and they could still sell tickets on our platform or do virtual events or whatever. And I think it's going to be the same here. But we're trying to at least give them the tools to do some of this stuff right. So, like the approach that we took was like one, uh, stop requiring people to you know, have a blockchain wallet just to participate in, you know, something that you want to sell. So um, it's just a normal thing on ours. You know, we're covering up all the blockchain stuff. You can buy a, a digital collectible NFT on our platform with um, with credit card, you know, debit card, that sort of thing. Yeah. But, but back to what it actually is, like, I think we're doing things a little different. It is like one of those assets, you know, you've heard of NFTs, you've heard of these digital collectibles. I wish we'd just call it digital collectibles, get rid of the NFTs, but whatever. NFT is still a buzzword. But um, I, I, you know, I'm with you. It's super cringy seeing all this stuff out there that's just a doodle that somebody made, you know, in a drawing and, and they made five of them and they're only selling one each. And so people start speculating on it and then it's $500,000 for this doodle basically or whatever. Right. You know, they, these bored apes and stuff like just, you know, like but, cool. I mean, they're cool art. But yeah. No, but on the contrary, though, we've seen like, what was it? The girl that didn't make her bed and like sold it for a couple million bucks. Like yeah. art, art's a really weird thing. It is. And it is weird. Yeah. I mean, it's no different than baseball cards. I, I get it. You know, it's scarcity. So, you know, I get it. it. But, you know, this I, this one's just you can't. It's but being not tangible is, the, I think, the thing that everybody has an issue with. Like, at least a baseball card I can ha- have in my hand. Yeah. Art I can have in my hand. I can touch it. You know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. Exactly. I, I am with you 100%. So I think you either have to have that or you have to have something that it does for you, you know, uh, that's more than just to look at. <clears throat> like, I can copy a board Ape Yacht Club, you know, and send it, and, and I have that art available to me. I'm not listed as the owner, but I don't care, you know, if I'm actually considering it art. So obviously you're just speculating on that. Yeah. With this stuff that we're doing, we're allowing event organizers to do more with it. We're allowing them to do things where you could say like, hey, you only get access to a virtual event if you're an NFT collectible holder or or a special Discord channel or a VIP area of the stadium. And then they can still trade that. So it's kind of like a ticket, but it's like a ticket that you're not actually just renting. Like most tickets, you kind of feel like you're just renting from the establishment like yeah you might be able to resell it but eventually they have all the control over it and right. usually on resale markets they even get the markup on it and stuff like that with this like you can take it yourself you can resell it someplace and you could still use that to get into an event to get to a vip area to get to that virtual access that might be a meet and greet with the coaches and players that nobody else gets access to so i think that's the cool stuff that we're enabling and hopefully we'll see, you know, in use soon and see how people use it. But I can't promise they'll use it like that either. No, and that's, you know, again, I think it's all about that unique experience I think everybody's looking for. And people don't mind paying for it. Like, you know, Motley yeah. Crew, it's 800 bucks a ticket. But, you know, you get to, you know, you get to feed Tommy Lee grapes. I don't, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> they're coming up with like, these unique experiences. I think that like if that. you go to, you know, if you're a big Comic-Con person like I am, the difference yeah. of Comic-Con five years ago till today, it's worse than tickets. It used to be you show up with 200 bucks and you'd buy four or five toys or, or books or whatever. 
and you'd get five autographs. And now it's $200 just to get an autograph and a picture with somebody from some stupid WB show that Randy watches that I don't. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like it got, you know, and they're taking like the, the Olin Mills family portraits and like, yeah. I see people online that post it and I cringe. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, you spent like $2,500 this weekend. Like it, yeah. it's nuts, but like people are spending it. So like, I guess why not do it? It's valuable to them. Yeah. And, and yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see what people do with it. Like everything else we've always done, like we launch it as like an MVP thing. Uh, and this is a cool thing. We actually partnered with another local company. Their name is Society, and they're an NFT, uh, uh, you know, platform and, and viewer and stuff. So we're doing the front end and, and the access control and all that stuff. And they're managing it with the blockchain. It's all on the Polygon blockchain, uh, Matic. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I'm excited to see. You know, some people will just launch some art, some scribbles, I'm sure. But some people do some really cool things that I haven't even thought of. And, and I can't wait to see what that I happens. mean, that one girl, wasn't she making just an obscene amount of money, like selling jarred farts? I mean, this is, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, think now, I think now she's she stopped selling Twitch. farts and she's selling like sweat. Did Randy, have you seen this or do you know what I'm talking about? She's sitting at the pool all day and she's like collecting vials of sweat and just like sending it to people. Oh, I've heard about the farts, but the sweat's a new one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. I make $5,000 a day selling my boob sweat in jars. Yeah. Yeah. And the the bath water. I think that was another. (laughs) I don't even. I can't. I can't. Uh, She stopped selling her farts because she had a heart attack scare. Because she's eating beans and popcorn all day. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh yeah. Jeez. Um, where is this going to take it? Where? I mean, where do you see this thing going? Where are you going to take it? What? Um, are you? You know, obviously you're you're listening to your customers, right? And they're they're asking for things. Although you know, you're not just going to you know build it and hope. What? What's? You know, is there yeah. anything on the horizon that's like? kind of a game changer that you guys are either looking at or trying to implement or want to see the industry going? Um, there are a few things uh, that, that, that I'm really interested in. I, I, I think virtual events should stick around. That's a big one. Um, so, and that could be with some of the NFT stuff can be combined with that, but also subscription stuff, but virtual events uh, should stick around, but in a hybrid format. So if you've got a, a place like, uh, like you know, St. Andrews there, or, or where wherever you got a you got a smaller place too uh, that can only hold two hundred people, and you pack that house. But you know, there's an artist playing there that that there are people in rural America that they never get to. Let them join virtually, right? Like so, let them continue to experience that. And I think we've just gone through this process where people have gotten comfortable with virtual performances and being part of that. And yeah, it should it should cost less. If it costs you fifty bucks to get it in person, maybe it should cost ten bucks online, yeah. or something like that, yeah. or less. But like that should happen. There should be an opportunity to go and and participate live with your favorite artists and your your favorite you know performers out there. And it's just generating more revenue for those performers that otherwise might not have had access to. But isn't that like uh, the personalization we were talking about that earlier? Isn't that like what Cameo started to do? Um, sure. I got a Cameo from uh, from William Hung, which was the best $20 I've ever spent. And I can't believe like he, he just collects $20 bills and he makes personalized messages to people while he's driving in his car. It's, it was amazing. Awesome. Literally the best 20 bucks I ever spent. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think there should be more of that stuff that that is that personalization. Yeah. And I think people should participate with the virtual crowds, not just the in-person crowds for those hybrid events. You know, they should have a screen up with the chat going by. Look at the guys on Twitch. Like that's why Twitch is so popular, right? Like it's so you get call outs when you donate to people, you get, you know, you, you get rewarded. Media gratification. Subscribe. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I love that stuff. I think it needs to happen more with live events. There needs to be that closer personal connection, even though you're thousands of miles away. Have you seen? Um, so I, uh, have you seen the birthday greetings from Weird Al? Uh, I don't think I've seen those it's from the- American Greetings. And <laughs> you swear he's singing like it's he did one for you. Like really, he says my he, my buddy got one for me. He says my name, how old I am. And you watch the video and you're like, did he record like 2000 names? Like, or how, you know, is this, you know, deep faking? Like it literally blew my mind on how well it was done. Um, You should try to look it up. Try to look it up online. But like, it was one of the cooler things I've ever like, 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 it was almost like, like literally did a personal message for me. And I know he didn't give me a break. Um, yeah, yeah. Because it was like a huge band and all these like singers. You know what I mean? It was like a production, this thing. Um yeah. totally cool though. I'm looking at That's so cool. this one, this one's intriguing to me, the whole school thing. Cause obviously, you know, I got I got high school kids, um, been involved with uh, like, been involved with the you know club sports my whole life. Yeah. And I'm looking at seeing this, just you know, I give the lady five bucks at the ticket counter. <laughs> You know what I mean, yeah. and and the school hopes that she's not putting fifty of it in her pocket and giving two fifty to, you know, to yeah. to the school. So I mean, I, what's the adoption been like on the school side? You know, it, it's starting. Like, so we've got a few schools. We're not we're not huge in that market yet. That's one we're trying to de- dig deeper into all the time. Um, we got into more club and like amateur and then semi pro sports first, but that was the same thing. Like all these soccer clubs and stuff like that, even the DCFCs of the world at one time were just doing cash at the door. And yeah, so we think that that's ripe for the schools too. like get rid of that cash, which does go away. Like you, you know, say there and, and people just don't carry, you know, cash anymore. Right. Like, so Comerica, Comerica park went cashless. I can't think of another venue exactly. that is doing that. I, do you know, or is that the first one? Because I keep hearing stories like they talk about. I listen to sports radio every morning, and they always talk about like you know, give their kid twenty bucks to go buy a hot dog and a pretzel, and it's like, Dad, I need your credit card. They're cashless. Yeah, yeah, it's happening all over the place. Yeah, a lot of professional sports venues are starting to go that direction. Cash is expensive, like you say, it walks away. You have to have trucks for transport to it. All this, all this bad stuff. You have to deal with it. it takes time to count change and all that well, stuff. Look at like, like the worst, like the Breakman. Look at like the Breakman, and then like I belonged to a lot of all the German clubs, and I was just at a big German festival in Cincinnati. You have to go to a ticket booth first, get your get your tickets, which look you know look like raffle tickets. Then you go to the food thing and the beer thing, and you get your beer. So the worst feeling in the world is trying to put your change away when somebody else is in line behind you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're you're going to pull something. Yeah. Yeah. But no, but what I'm saying is like, you know, a lot of places have been doing it, trying to be cashless because yeah, you got, you know, 25 volunteers serving beer and serving bratwurst. You know what I mean? Like all that cash handling. Yeah. It's pain in the ass. So no, so yeah, I, we, I get I get the applications. It makes total sense. 
I love right. it. Yeah, I, I hope the problems that we're seeing when we're talking to like high schools and stuff like that is just that there are a lot of people whose job that that is not, you know, to, to handle a ticketing application, a ticketing platform. Yeah. And that's not their fault. That's that's not. So we just try to be as helpful as possible when we go to them and say, like, hey, we'll set this all up for you. Just give it a try. We think it'll help you and make your lives easier in the long run. And, and you know, we've had some success with it so far. They yeah. got to do like a Detroit CDFC where they got like the scanners or I guess how does that work? Or like if you're like kind of like like just want to like my German club, for example, yeah. like how, like how would that look? Yeah. So you definitely can just like go online and print off a guest list ahead of time. If you want to keep it real simple, right. Right. Um, so you don't have to scan anything at the door, but those scanners, that's just a free app. You know, it's an Android and iOS oh, okay. app. And yeah. So it's, it's not like it costs any money or anything like that. We have a digital lookup too. We do have a way that you can like, if somebody brings it up on their phone, even without a scanner, you can mark it redeemed for them and stuff. But that's a, that's a little wonky, but like, that's a way to do it without having the scanners locally. So yeah, I mean, there's no like investment on that side really at all. No, no, very cool. I, um, I always love learning about new companies right in my backyard that are doing really cool things. And you guys are definitely on, on top of that list. Um, I can't think, I can't thank you enough for the time. Gopassage.com. Um, check them out. Uh, I've, this is yeah. Applications are pretty much limitless, but if you're you know small, big venues, anything in between, this is a very cool product you you guys have all put together. Thanks so much, Bob. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Alex Linebrink from Passage. Definitely check them out. GoPassage.com. Uh, we're gonna wrap things up for episode four thirty nine. Uh, definitely was a great episode. Thanks for hanging out with us. This is on behalf of Bob and Randy. Do us a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't gotta go home. You just gotta get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it. <laughs>